thank you for being in the house of the Lord tonight. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 15 says, The horse leech hath two daughters, crying, Give, give. There are three things that are never satisfied, yea, four things. Say not, it is enough. The grave, that's one thing. The grave is uh, never has an appetite that is satisfied. The barren womb, the earth that is not filled with water, and the fire that saith not, it is enough. Four things the, the great wise man of Proverbs uh, writes about. And, of course, we know that to be Solomon. And in so doing, he talks about uh, three, uh, yea, four, almost like as an afterthought, that he uh, lists these things that uh, are never satisfied. The grave, the barren womb, the earth that is not filled with water, and the fire that saith not, it is enough. I, I was astonished the other day. I was eating in a restaurant uh, with my wife, and uh, we went into a little restaurant in a, a strip mall we never had been to before. And we went in there, and we did not realize that it was Trivia Tuesday. And there was a guy in there asking trivia questions. And so he wanted to know if we wanted to play, and so we said, okay. And he gave us a piece of paper and a pencil, and we got to play trivia while we waited for our food to be served and um, had a lot of interesting questions but uh, one of the questions is what does an average cloud weigh what does an average cloud weigh i got to thinking about that and i got to thinking yeah we think they're light and fluffy because they look like cotton but they're full of water so they got to be heavy but I had no idea. Does anybody here have any idea? Trivia Wednesday right here at East Wind. <laughs> well, when he told us the answer, I was amazed. I had to verify it with my iPhone, which I'm sure none of you have ever done before. But he was right. One million tons. The average cloud weighs. And all of these clouds all over the sky can release all of that water and moisture onto the earth. And yet somehow the earth is never to the point that it can't receive more. The grave, the barren womb, and the fire. Fire is the one that is of, of interest. And I, I want to talk to you uh, tonight for the few moments that I have with you on this subject. The hunger of heaven the hunger of heaven we oftentimes talk about humanity and our hunger for the things of God but what is it that heaven hungers for well if we think about it in terms of fire and this is kind of where I want to start out tonight we understand from this verse in Proverbs that fire has an appetite that's never quenched and when we look throughout the Word of God uh, heaven responded with fire. Of course, the one we think of probably that comes to our minds immediately is uh, when Elijah called fire down from heaven, top of Mount Carmel, when he challenged the prophets of Baal. 
and the prophets of the growth. But throughout the word of God, there was always that, that signal that the sacrifice had been received uh, when fire consumed the sacrifice. Heaven responds with fire. And where the fire falls is the place where heaven intersects with humanity. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 1 uh, gives us some further insight into understanding how the glory of God works in terms of its interaction with humanity. Second Chronicles 7 1 says, Now when Solomon, of course we know this is when they were dedicating that beautiful uh, temple, one of the wonders of the world, Solomon's temple uh, in Jerusalem. It says, Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the house. So when the glory of the Lord fills the house, it is undeniable. Have you ever been in a service when you just knew that the glory of the Lord had filled the house? Sometimes when the glory of the Lord fills the house, it's such a, a move of the Holy Ghost that there's not even preaching because there's such a response to the fire that is falling. Uh, sometimes there will be uh, a time of worship, uh, a time of praising the Lord, and then uh, we proceed with preaching. Sometimes um, we... We proceed with preaching, sometimes we don't, and you're always trying to feel after the Spirit and to know uh, really what uh, the glory of the Lord is desiring so that we're in that perfect will. But one of the things uh, that we know is that when the glory of the Lord fills the house, it is the equivalent of the fire of heaven that we read about in the Old Testament especially, consuming the sacrifice. When the glory of the Lord fills a house, and it could be in a service, it could be on a Wednesday night, it could be on a Sunday morning, Sunday night, it could be in uh, a gymnasium as we saw at Bayside High School just a few weeks ago in our outpouring crusade. It can be uh, overseas, it can be in a soccer field, it can be anywhere, it can be in your car. But any time the glory of the Lord falls, any time the fire from heaven falls. It is because there has been a sacrifice that has been offered. You simply do not get the fire of God without sacrifice. You just don't do it. There always has to be a sacrifice for the fire to fall and when it does it consumes the sacrifice. Now there, there is a slight difference that I think is worth mentioning between praise and worship. And I think this is probably a good way uh, to sometimes discern uh, where we are even in a service where we're, we're seeking after the, the moving of the Holy Ghost. Uh, praise is what we do out of obedience unto God. But worship is our response to the presence of God. Let me, let me make sure I say that again so we get it. Praise is what we do out of obedience to God. 
But worship is our response to the presence of God. Uh, worship is uh, spontaneous. Worship is is something that uh, is like a well, an internal well that is springing up on the inside. Because all of us that are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, when that glory of God falls, it resonates, or it should, uh, in the hearts and lives of people that are Spirit-filled. And so there is this adoration, there is this worship uh, that begins to uh, take place. And so when the worship uh, begins to take place, uh, sometimes it's not necessary to have preaching in a service like that because the fire has already fallen, which means the sacrifice has already been given. Uh, I've seen people give the sacrifice of praise, and then God honors that with His presence, and then the praise becomes worship as now we begin to respond to the presence of God. I've seen the fire fall when a sacrificial offering is taken up. And people give sacrificially. I've seen it happen in general conferences. I've seen it happen in our church. I've seen it happen in district conferences. I've seen it happen in a variety of settings where uh, it, it's just like spontaneous combustion and people just start to give. And it's sacrificial and the presence of God fills the place. You know why? Because there is a sacrifice that is being offered. And as the sacrifice is being offered, the fire, the glory of God comes down and consumes the sacrifice. Oh, my friend, if you sacrifice, the fire will fall. I said the fire will fall where humanity is offering up a sacrifice unto the Lord. And that sacrifice uh, can be, like we said, a lot of different things. It can be the sacrifice of praise. It can be the uh, the sacrifice of, uh, of giving gifts unto the Lord. It can be the, the sacrifice of... Uh, obedience. I believe the fire can fall just out of the faithfulness of, of God's people coming to the house of God. I know that you worked today and it would have been easy to stay at home, but you made an effort to get in your car to come to the house of the Lord. There is a certain effort involved in that that is a sacrifice, and God honors that. Oh, hallelujah. When we pray before we have church, there's a sacrifice that's involved in that. Everything that we do unto the Lord that involves a sacrifice, it invites the presence of God. It invites the fire from heaven to fall. Oh, hallelujah. And when that fire falls, uh, that is the glory of the Lord coming down. Uh, and you say, well, how much can God handle? He can't handle all of it because the fire has an appetite that's never quenched. Uh, he can bless in Palm Bay and bless in Ocala and bless in Fort Lauderdale and Portland, Oregon and Dallas. Texas and Indianapolis, India. He can bless everywhere, all the places at one time. He can handle it all. The fire can fall all over the earth. Hallelujah. Oh, thank the Lord. And so heaven has an appetite. Heaven has a hunger. And I, I begin to think if, if, if we could tap into what that is. That heaven uh, is hungry for. That the glory of God is hungry for. We, we understand uh, that 
It is hungry for sacrifice, and that sacrifice fuels the glory of God. But if we could tap into individually and corporately, if we could tap into what it is that heaven hungers for, then the glory of God could come down in our car, in our home, on our job, in the grocery store, standing in line. Oh, when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all He's done for me. You can stand in line and begin to worship God and feel the presence of God. I have been in adverse environments, as I'm sure you have, maybe even a hostile environment. But if you just start to praise the Lord, hallelujah, you can feel the presence of God. Now, I found myself... Uh, being consumed recently with this search for what it is that the glory of God responds to. What fuel propels it? What causes it to fall? What does it feed on? What draws it? Let's look to the Word of God and get some insight on this question. Exodus chapter 24 and verse 17 reads as follows. And the sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire on the top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel. Now, this is something that I begin to see that was a common denominator as it related to fire falling from heaven. It seems like the fire was always on the mountain. We talked about this earlier. We know Elijah called down fire the mountain, top of Mount Carmel. I've, I've stood on the top of that mountain. And I've looked, you can look all over down through the valley of Megiddo. You can look all the way uh, back to the uh, west and you can see um, the, the um, Mediterranean Sea. It's way up high and it's amazing. Uh, you can look in every direction and can see from this mountain. But it wasn't just the mountain where the fire fell. The fire uh, that fell the day of Pentecost was in the upper room. There's the fire... Uh, that fell on Mount Sinai. All of, all of this gives us a map into uh, His glory. When we, when we look at Mount Sinai in the Old Testament, Moses uh, was the only one that made it uh, to that fiery summit, and he even had a veil on his face because the glory of God was so powerful. Uh, the majority of the people were at the base uh, camp, as it were, down uh, below there at the bottom, not having... Uh, made that journey of course they they couldn't the lord told them even if you touch the mountain they had to keep even their livestock away because even if they would touch the mountain they would be killed destroyed and the question then that comes into our mind is if you are one of those people at the base camp how would you know where the mountain begins because you know a mountain doesn't just go flat and then go straight up there's a gradual approach to it all. And sometimes people want to know, where is the line? If I do this, I go to heaven. If I do that, I go to hell. I want to know where the line is. So, so many people uh, want to know where the line is. I remember my first year of law school, uh, we thought they were going to teach us the law. And so we would want to know what the bright letter law was. Where's the line? This is legal. This is illegal. 
And we quickly learned that every answer was, it depends. They were trying to teach us how to think rather than what the law is. Because you can challenge the law. You can create new law. So everything was a collection of the circumstances. I think the better question to ask is not, is it a heaven or hell issue? The better question to ask is, does it please God? And does this draw me closer to God? If, if, if I'm one of those people that's down there trying to figure out where the line is, where the mountain begins, I can't take a chance and lose my family and my livestock. Wherever it looks like it's starting, I'm going to be a long ways on the other side of it. Oh, my friend, if you want the fire to fall from heaven, it doesn't come with people trying to live with one foot in the church and one foot out and finding out where the line is. I'm going to tell you where it falls, where people say, God, I want to please you. How can I get closer to you? What can I do that will honor you? What can I do that will lift up the name of Jesus? I want the fire to fall in my life. I don't want to just barely make it into heaven. I want to go up with a shout. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. And, and Joshua, he, he came about halfway uh, up the mountain. And the fire fell on the mountain. But, but in the New Testament, when Jesus died on Calvary, the veil in the tabernacle, which now, I, you know, you see that almost as a foreshadowing, the veil that Moses wore, the veil that was in the tabernacle that became the temple, Tabernacle, of course, meant something that's more temporary, which was a portable church, as it were, that went with them in the wilderness. But as they begin to get established in the promised land in Jerusalem and under David's uh, regime and all that took place as they, they moved forward, and of course, Tabernacle of David was just a, a small place where they worshiped God. But then after that, his son uh, built this magnificent temple. And uh, it still had the pattern of that tabernacle. And there was... The Holy of Holies, which was uh, in the back, and that was where only the priest could go. And there was a giant veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of uh, the tabernacle or the temple. And in the New Testament, we read that when Jesus hung on the cross uh, on the hill Golgotha, and then the Bible said he gave up the ghost or gave up his spirit, that that veil that was in that temple, it ripped in two by itself from the top to the bottom and when something you know is pulled tight and it rips it creates a gap and an opening and what that signified is that now anybody could come into the glory of god you don't have to go to somebody else and hope that they can pray for you as some sort of a proxy prayer you can go before the lord yourself Oh, hallelujah. I'm so glad the Bible says we can come boldly into the throne room of grace and find help in a time of need. Oh, hallelujah. So if you were willing to make the journey, you could come into the presence of God. If you were willing to get there, if you were willing to make the sacrifice of the journey, then you could go into the Holy of Holies. You could go to where the fire is falling. Folks, that's where we are right here today in 2022. 
if you're willing to make the journey, you can come into the presence of God. And what is that journey? That journey is a pursuit of God through His Word. So let's take that journey tonight. Let's search for the glory of God through the Word of God. We are in search of what the glory responds to. Hebrews chapter 10 talks about this part of uh, the interaction between God's fire and man's offering. So I want to call your attention there to Hebrews chapter 10. And I want to read a few verses in your hearing uh, from the beginning of this great chapter in the Bible. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make the comers thereunto perfect. It's very important that you understand that. That just the sacrifices continually being offered, it wasn't like something they did sporadically, but continually being offered year by year, that in and of itself could not make the individuals participating in this, obeying the rabbinical law of the Old Testament, they could not become perfect by it. Look at verse 2. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. If they would have made the individuals perfect, then there would have been no need to continue the offering. Because that the worshipers, once purged, should have had no more conscious of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. That when they brought those sacrifices, it reminded them that they were lost and undone without God. That they were humanity with frail flesh that was subject to fail and fall short. Verse 4, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. So there's two things uh, that... I want to remind you of that these verses are pointing out. And that is that the ministry of Jesus Christ, which we know culminated in Calvary and then the resurrection, that it was a uh, not a substitute, as it were, uh, for the Old Testament uh, teachings of the law, but it was a fulfillment of what it was to be a perfect sacrifice. That there was this... Uh, perfecting of it as it were and so the important thing about that is to know that if you want to understand how you and i in our humanity interact with god who robed himself in flesh 
in the form of Jesus Christ and, and went to the cross willingly of His own free will. He was yet without sin, but died for our sins. Became a, that sacrifice, that perfected sacrifice. If we want to know how that uh, God interacts with humanity through this sacrifice called Calvary, then it is worth our while to understand that there is uh, a chance to study how the Old Testament sacrifices work so that it would give us insight into those same principles that are in play in how heaven hungers for humanity and how humanity hungers for God. Verse 10 says, By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Notice that. Calvary was the ultimate sacrifice. You talk about the fire falling. Jesus, God robed in flesh. If anyone could have escaped without a sacrifice, you would think it would be God. But even He was fulfilling the principles and the foreshadowing of the Old Testament. Verse 11. Now watch how he draws the parallel. And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. We can't do it on our own. But this man, who's he referring to? Jesus. After he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, which we know is the power of God. Not a separate being, not a big father God with a big hand and Jesus Jr. sat on it. No, he's talking about sitting in a position of power so that we understand that Jesus Christ did uh, through these sacrifices what the Old Testament could not do. The Old Testament uh, gave uh, a, a temporary, as it were, it sort of kicked the can down the road and gave them a, another space of repentance. But it was never to the point where it was perfected. All it did was point forward to where this lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world would be made manifest and become that perfect sacrifice. So... Here we are in the New Testament. Here we are in the 21st century, 2022. We want to know what God is hungry for. The way we see this is to examine the offerings of the Old Testament. Let's do it together. The children of Israel had five different offerings that the Lord had commanded them to do. Let's look at them. Leviticus chapter 7 and verse 37. This is the law of the burnt offering. Everybody say the burnt offering. Of the meat offering. Everybody say the meat offering. Sometimes also you'll see the, the term meal offering. The meat offering and the meal offering were uh, synonymous. And of the sin offering. Everybody say the sin offering. And of the trespass offering. Everybody say trespass offering. And of the consecrations and of the sacrifice of the peace offerings. Everybody say peace offering. So we see five offerings there. Let's talk for just a moment about them. The first that's mentioned, and by far, um, and, and I'll, I'll go, on, go into this in just a, a few uh, minutes, but the burnt offering is the one that 
I want to specifically call our attention to. It's not unusual that 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 is the most important is the one that's listed first. And that's what happens here. It is the burnt offering. Now we understand one thing about the burnt offering. It would involve fire. That doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out. How do you burn something? You got to have some heat. There's got to be fire. How are you going to have a burnt offering without some fire? So we know that one certainly involved fire. It had to, it had to burn something. Uh, and so this offering uh, that was a burnt offering was an offering that was put in the fire. And it was an offering that signified consecration. And then we have the, the meat offering or the meal offering. This is where they, they came with a, a spirit of service or of unselfishness and they would offer the meat and then there uh, is the peace offering the peace offering is a request for the mercy of God and the goodness of God to be upon their house and the sin offering this was demanded uh, of the people a, a young bullock without blemish and they would bring of course for their sins uh, uh, to be forgiven and the trespass offering the trespass offering, uh, even though there would be forgiveness through the, the sin offering, the Lord instructed to give back uh, what you have taken plus uh, one-fifth or 20%, which would then be considered a trespass offering. So each of these offerings is a study uh, in and of themselves, of which uh, time would not allow us to do tonight. But I want to look at the burnt offering. Uh, one of the things that we see that all of these uh, five offerings had in common is that they all involved fire. What's interesting about the burnt offering is that it was fully consumed by the fire. You can't burn something without the fire completely devouring it. It has to not just rest upon it, but it has to consume it. Now, I, I know you've probably seen this before, and because there's no young people in here, I'll, I'll go ahead and mention it just for the sake of illustration. But, you know, even as a kid, you know, you're fascinated with fire, and there may be a candle on the table, and you run your finger through it like that, and you're like, oh, yeah, I can feel that. That's kind of hot. But it did not necessarily burn your finger. But now, if you leave your finger in the fire, it will burn. And there are different degrees of burning. Uh, the burnt offering was not rare. It was not medium rare. It was done, 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 well done, done, all over done. It consumed it. It burned it until you couldn't recognize it anymore. Why did they have a burnt offering? Well, let me go and give you some things that may or may not be interesting to you for just a moment. But it was interesting to me, and that was enough for me to put it in my notes. The Hebrew noun, Ola, O-L-A-H, occurs 289 times in the Masoretic texts of the Hebrew Bible. It means 
that which goes up in smoke. It is formed from the active uh, participle of this word, hiphil, H-I-P-H-I-L, which is a form of the word Allah, A-L-A-H. And that word means to cause to ascend. It was sometimes also called Kalil, K-I-L-I-L, which is a word that's associated uh, with a Hebrew word in Leviticus meaning entire. Its, its traditional name in English is holocaust. And, and the word ola, O-L-A-H, has traditionally been translated as burnt offering. The term was translated as holocaustin in the Septuagint, which you know the Septuagint is the Greek Old Testament translated from the Hebrew meaning 70. There were 70. We understand from our Bible that there are 66 books in the Old Testament, but in the Septuagint there were 70, which is where that name Septuagint came from. It was the Greek translation, as it were, of the Old Testament. Today, in some English uh, versions of the Bible, the term then is rendered as holocaust. But if we go back to its original meaning, it's literally burnt offering. For example, Exodus 18.12 is translated in the New American Bible as this. Then Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, brought a holocaust and other sacrifices to God. While it's translated in the New International Version as... Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. In classical rabbinical literature, there are several different etymologies that are given for the term Ola, O-L-A-H. Though all of them agree that it translates as that which goes up. Some classical rabbis argue that the term referred to the ascent of the mind after making the sacrifice, that there is a, an ascent of the mind, as it were, that allows you to connect with God. It implies that, that the atonement was for, uh, the sacrifice literally was for the atonement of evil thoughts. And so then the mind is allowed to ascend. While others would argue that it was a sacrifice to the highest. Because you remember before we talked about how these sacrifices where the fire would fall was at a high point or a high place. And here the offering was given in its entirety over to Jehovah. The first uses of, uh, of the word Ola, O-L-A-H, for burnt offering, refers to the sacrifices of Noah, of every clean beast, and of every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Genesis 8.20 and then it also refers to the near sacrifice of Isaac by Abraham. You know, whenever he took his son up to the top of Mount Moriah, as God had instructed him to do. Genesis 22.2 says he offered him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains. The third pre-Levitical burnt offering is that of Jethro, Moses' father-in-law in Exodus 18.12. Here's what we begin to see as a pattern. 
that there was this offering that was consistent through all of these different examples of where God responded in such a powerful way. And it was the result of a burnt offering, as it were, or, if you want to use this, of a holocaust. Now we think of the holocaust as being the, the, the many millions of uh, people, uh, I don't know how many it was, that I've been to the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem. It's a very sobering uh, place to go. We've read in history. We understand it's one of the great atrocities uh, that humanity has ever experienced. And it really, when you think about it, folks, it was only 80 years ago that such horror could happen in, 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 in our own lifetime. Is, is astonishing. But they call it the Holocaust because literally the, the thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions, however many it was, were burned, literally. They were gassed and, and they were burned. And so they use that as uh, the, the word Holocaust. It's, it's not original. It goes all the way back to understanding the element of this word Ola, meaning that it is something that is consumed completely. This is something that has gotten in my spirit that I cannot get rid of. That heaven is hungry for burnt offerings from humanity. And I know that because I just gave the example of the Holocaust, you're going to be confused. So let me try to explain it further. That when you offered something unto God that was a burnt offering, it was a consuming fire that said, I give everything unto you, Lord. And that, my friend, is where the fire would begin to fall. That heaven responds to the complete commitment of humanity. If we want the fire to fall, we can't just serve God on our terms. We can't just fit modern-day Christianity in a postmodern society as some sort of side hobby that we get to if we're not doing anything else. If you want the fire of God on your family, if you want the fire of God on your finances, if you want the fire of God and the glory of God upon your children and your family and your home, it's going to require you selling out to God. I made this statement on Easter, and I'm sure the majority of the people here didn't understand it. But I haven't been able to get away from it. We think of the altar as a place of prayer. Ladies and gentlemen, the altar was a place of death. We don't want to hear that preached in the 21st century. Because we want to just come to church and get a few goosebumps and feel the presence of God and, and go back to our lives. But I'm going to tell you what. There's coming a day when humanity is going to have to get a hold of the horns of the altar and say, I can't make it another day until I feel the presence of God not just move on me, but consume me. That my will would die out to your will, oh God. That you would say, God, whatever it takes, oh Lord, I give you everything. I'm not going to just serve you when it's convenient. I'm not going to just serve you when everything's going well. I'm made up in my mind. I'm going to die out. It's not my will, but thy will be done. 
a spiritual holocaust, as it were. A burnt offering that says, it's all yours, Lord. I can't take anything back. It's all yours. In the story of Gideon, a slaughter offering of a young goat and unleavened bread is destroyed when fire is sent from heaven and it consumes it. In the story of Samson's birth, his father, who was intending to make a slaughter offering so that he could give a meal to an angel, is told by the angel to burn it completely instead. A slaughter offering would allow for there to be a meal. But this is something different. This is a burnt offering. Most biblical scholars now generally agree that the intricate details of the whole offering, particularly the types and number of animals on occasion on various feast days given by the Torah, were of a late origin or were the intricate directions given in the Talmud, which says the whole offerings were quite rare in early times. But as the ritual became more fixed and statutory, as it were, and the concentration of sacrifices into a single sanctuary of where they would offer the sacrifices. Before the tabernacle, they would just offer the sacrifices where they could. But particularly after uh, Josiah's reform, they made sacrifices quite distinct from simply killing animals for food. Whole offerings gradually rose to great prominence. The burnt offering is believed to have evolved as an extreme form of the slaughter offering. And the reason that it would be considered an extreme form is the slaughter offering was just the killing of an animal. Offered as a sacrifice, but you could still get a few meals out of it. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost prompted me now to put this in your backyard again. you got to get to the point where you serve God, not for what you can get out of it. Oh, I wish I had some help here tonight. There's so many times tonight, it's not that you're evil people, we're just humanity. But because we live in an affluent society, because we live in the land of freedom, because we are used to feeling the moving of the Holy Ghost, it's easy to somehow regulate God to just some sort of a, of a spiritual fix machine that just helps me when I need help. But oh, my friend, uh, I've come to tell you, you'll never make it if you only serve God based on what you can get out of it. You gotta put something in the fire that says, God, you don't owe me anything. I give it all to you. <laughs> I commit everything unto you, Lord. I'm not gonna just slaughter it, I'm gonna burn it. I don't understand this. It's something that bothers me. In the almost 25 years I've been senior pastor here, before that, assistant pastor and dog catcher and everything leading up to it. Suffice it to say, 
I've seen a lot over the 58 years I've been on this planet. Especially as it relates to the church. I still don't understand, though I know it's in the Bible. I don't understand human nature that goes back to what God has delivered us from. The Bible says it in a very crude way, but it says it's like a dog returning to its vomit. What would make a person return back to the slavery, the chains of sin? What would make a person go back to what God has delivered them from? I'm going to tell you what it is. That unless you burn it, you leave the door open for temptation. You got to come, when you come to the Lord, you got to say, God, I'm putting everything on the altar. I'm not going to say this is what I agree with, that's what I don't agree with, and become like a cafeteria Christian and just pick and choose what you want in the Bible. You got to say, if it's in the Bible, I believe it. I don't have anything in my house that I can't give up for God. And in the old days, they told us we couldn't have televisions in our house. We all got rid of the televisions. I didn't. I was a kid. But I was raised in a house where my mom and dad were sold out. So I didn't grow up with a television. I'd go to the neighbor's house and say, we're really poor. I actually would do this. I'd be playing football in the streets and I'd say, it's 3.30, gun smoke's coming on. And I'd just go up and down the street knocking on doors. And I found this little lady, I said, man, we're really poor, we don't have a TV. And it wasn't gun smoke, it was Roy Rogers. Trigger, he had that horse named Trigger. That's how old I am. And I said, I really want to watch Roy Rogers. and I don't have... I'm going to really, my parents are really poor. We cannot even afford a television. And she said, you poor boy, you come on in here. Do you like chocolate chip cookies? I said, yes, ma'am, I do. You got any white milk you can put with it? And she put me up in that chair, that big lazy boy chair. Nowadays, you couldn't, you know, invite some kid in off the street. You know, you'd probably get arrested. But back then, it was a lot different. Oh, I wish we could go back then to those days. Everybody trusted everybody. I was raised in a small town. She put me up in that chair and I watched Roy Rogers and she brought me chocolate chip cookies and white milk. And when it was all done, I said, I'll see you tomorrow at the same time. (laughs) Oh, man. I made the mistake of telling my family at dinner that night, I saw Roy Rogers today. They said, where? I don't know, some house down the street, nice little lady. You did what? I just knocked on the door and told her we were too poor to have a television. And I watched my family, God bless them. There's a special reward in heaven for my sister, my mom, and my dad. There used to be a store in this town called J.M. Fields. We lived across the street from it. We lived behind the Brunswick Bowling Alley, 22 East Dale Avenue. 
And I grew up in the years, the 70s, early 70s, when the Dolphins were winning the football championship, loved football, played football on the street with my friends. And when the Dolphins came on, my whole world stopped. And I can remember that they would drop me off at J.M. Fields and I would sit in the TV section and watch the dog. I became good friends with all the TV salespeople in J.M. Fields. That's where I spent my Sunday afternoons growing up here at First Pentecostal Church in J.M. Fields watching the Dolphins. But you know, I, I can't remember and maybe it's just because of, you know, the, the 2020 vision that we have of hindsight. I, I, I'm so thankful that I was protected from a lot of stuff in those formative years. Because I learned to read. That's really helpful in life. Now people that are famous say they won't have television for their children. Madonna won't have a television for her children. Say what? You're going to corrupt everybody else but not have a TV for your kids? But nowadays, if I got up here and said, Church, everybody get rid of your computers. Get rid of your televisions. We go back to our own personal COVID. <laughs> We're with you, Pastor. We're just watching online. <laughs> I thought you got rid of your computer. If we give up anything now, the first thing your friends say to you is, you must belong to a cult. Who does that man think he is to stand up there and tell you you've got to get off Facebook? I'm not saying get off Facebook. I'm just throwing out examples. But think about this. Because of this culture that we're in, and there's a lot of positive things about the culture that we're in. I'm not saying it's all negative. But we as human beings have become conditioned. That God has to move on our terms. Bless God, I go to church for one hour. If God don't move in one hour, too bad. I'm out of here. We're in the old days. They'd stay all night praying for a fire to fall. Oh, my friend, I'm going to tell you what. If you get desperate for God, you don't care what time it is. You don't care what you got to give up. You don't care if it inconvenience you. If you say, God, i got to have a move from heaven. I've come to tell you, if you want fire in your house, you better give it a sacrifice. In the Naveen section of the Hebrew passage, particularly passages in the book of Judges, presents the practice of the burnt offering in the story of Gideon, a slaughter offering of a young goat and unleavened bread. It goes all the way forward. You begin to see over and over again that these men of God would have a burnt offering that was consumed. 
Judges 13, 18. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Why askest thou thus after my name, seeing it is secret? So Manoah took a kid with a meat offering and offered it upon a rock unto the Lord. And the angel did wondrously. And Manoah and his wife looked on. For it came to pass when the flame went up toward heaven from off the altar that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. And Manoah and his wife looked on it and fell on their faces to the ground. There was this burnt offering of fully giving themselves. Giving themselves as a complete sacrifice unto the Lord. There's, there's, there's no way that when we look to Romans chapter 12 where it talks about that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice unto God. There's no way that you can be a living sacrifice unto God unless you sell out of your own will. Because when they had a burnt offering, they were not looking for any residual return. But rather it was a complete sacrifice. And the only way you and I can do that in this postmodern culture is to die out to our own will. I truly believe with all of my heart that this is what heaven is hungry for. Because I, I've been in enough third world countries that it's not hard for them to offer a burnt offering because they don't have choices. They can't go to a doctor. If the fire doesn't fall, I, I've seen, my wife is here, she can attest to this. I've seen Hindu and Islamic people hold their babies up to us. Not even Christians, but it's undeniable that the fire is falling. And for us to pray for them, and because of the water and the, the food and the poverty and all that, their eyes many times just cloud over. You can see like a yellow film, it's like, almost like there's a, a shade that's drawn on their eyes and to pray for them and to see the shade go down and to see their expression as these blinded eyes are opening cancer tumors disappearing under your hand because they don't have an option of going to a doctor and I'm not saying don't go to doctors please don't misinterpret what I'm saying but there's something about this is everything I give you everything of me God the fire falls. The fire is looking. It's hungry for somebody somewhere that will give him a burnt offering to say, I have no plan B. I've got no other parachute. It's all you, God. If you don't move, I don't have any other choice. Can I tell you that that's the best way to live for God? That's where it's joy, unspeakable, and full of glory. Hallelujah. I know, I know it's, not, it's not popular to preach about a complete offering of sacrifice and commitment, but can I tell you the good news? The good news about this is that whatever's bothering you, you can throw it in the fire. 
I said, whatever is bothering you, you can throw it into the fire and you can know that it is completely consumed. You don't have to live your life looking over your shoulder and wondering what if. When you totally sell out to God, it makes living for the Lord a lot easier. You get up every day and you say, Lord, I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. I am a slave to the will of God and the word of God. You stand to your feet. My time is gone. Isle of Melita, which we know is Malta in Acts 28. That viper grabs a hold of Paul's hand. He shakes it off into the fire. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said, no doubt this man's a murderer. And though he's escaped the sea, yet vengeance is suffering him to die. But he shook the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit they looked when he should have swollen up and fallen down dead suddenly, but he doesn't. They look at him. He's healthy. They changed their minds and they said, He must be a God. You can be fully devoted to God in any fiery dart, any venomous viper any attack of Satan you can throw it into the fire I give everything to you Lord because I made up my mind a long time ago being fully committed is a living sacrifice and I'm ready to be fully consumed whatever you got to give up give it up to serve God there's nothing that's worth, worth your soul. You may have to give up a relationship. You may have to give up something that other people would question uh, your level of dedication because of what you did. They may even say it's extreme. But they don't know uh, that you've got a desire for the fire to fall upon your offering. Uh, it doesn't matter what it is. Uh, I put it on the altar. Oh, my friend, too many choices. Uh, and you have a hard time making up your mind. Uh, but once you make up your mind, I'm going to serve you, Lord. Uh, I don't care if I'm the last human being on the planet Earth. Uh, I'm going to serve God. Uh, if my spouse doesn't serve God, I'm going to serve God. If my children don't serve God, I'm going to serve God. Mm. Jesus. Jesus. I feel the fire falling even as we're talking. Come on, you're part of something that was born in the fire. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and filled all the house. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire that sat upon each of them. In the name of Jesus. Oh, I feel it in the Holy Ghost. Somebody's offering a burnt offering up unto Him. Come on, you've been wrestling with something. Uh, but you say, tonight I'm giving it to you, God. 
Heaven is hungry for your burnt offering. Heaven is hungry for a committed people. Mm. Jesus. 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 Come on, it was born in the fire of adversity. It was born in the fire of affliction. It was born in the fire of admonishment. We've turned it into a sacrifice of attraction and availability and atmosphere. But God is wanting to know tonight, is there anybody that'll fully give their life to me? Sell out to him tonight. You need to make a commitment tonight. God has given you a word to protect you from what's coming down the road. Come on, if you sell out tonight, he'll protect you from what's coming. Come on, give him a burnt offering wherever you're at. If you want to come to this altar, if you want to stand where you're at, but offer up a burnt offering to him right now. Come on, Lord, you took my wrongs. I give up my rights. We don't deserve it, Lord. But we're so thankful, God. this house there's things that are dying right now at this altar he got the robo sita he had that robo hotolobo sita
Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Yes, Lord.
Jesus.
Jesus. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I've seen so many people over the years lose their walk with God because of a wounded spirit, because of hurt feelings. People that had talent, people that were anointed, people that were used of God. Because of hurt feelings or a wounded spirit, the enemy was able to get a foothold. If you've ever been offended, felt like you were done wrong I wonder if you would just give that over to God right now as a burnt offering would you do that I just feel led of the Holy Ghost be very specific would you just give that over to God right now as a burnt offering say Lord I'm going to put this on the altar and I want you to burn it up and from this day forward I am free I am free. I am set free in the name of Jesus. Come on. Nobody owes me anything. I'm giving it over to the Lord right now. Come on. Build an altar right now and put it in the fire. Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Sometimes we question why God hasn't healed somebody. Maybe a family member, maybe a friend, somebody that we love and we see them fighting illness and we wonder, why would God not heal them? I wonder right now if we could put that in the fire. Say, God, you don't owe me an explanation. You're God. I'm going to bless the Lord anyhow. I don't have to understand it all to worship you. I can worship you right now by saying, Lord, I am free in the name of Jesus. Come on, put it in the fire right now. I offer it unto you, Lord, as a burnt offering. Hallelujah. We're going to pray and believe, but God, you're God. You don't have to explain anything to me, Lord. I bless your name anyhow. Hallelujah. I glorify you anyhow. I don't understand why I haven't had a prayer answered like I thought it would be. But I put it in the fire right now. In the name of Jesus. Jesus. 
Jesus. Jesus. Jesus. Paul said in Romans, it's a it's our reasonable service to be a living sacrifice. Our reasonable service. Oh, my friend, you don't serve an unreasonable God. But, oh, I'm telling you, there is a life of freedom. There is a life of anointing. If we can get this right and put everything in the fire, give it all to God. And say, Lord, my life is a living sacrifice unto you. I'm going to tell you what, you'll never have to worry about losing what God has given you. You don't have to worry about getting up every day and wondering if you're going to backslide or not. You get up every day. This is the day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. We ascend to those high places when we bless the Lord anyhow. Why don't we give Him a sacrifice of praise and worship as we're dismissed. Oh, thank you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. We ascend unto the hill of the Lord by declaring your glory and your greatness. We give you praise in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. Feel free to pray as long as you want. Feel free to stay here as long as you want. But you're dismissed.